at this time, our children ages 3 to 8 years old are dismissed to Children's Church. You can go on down with down there for Children's Church. The rest of us, if you'll turn to Mark chapter 1, continue on in our series on Gospel Mark we just started with. Thank you ladies for your ministry and song. Amen. So glad God has a will for our lives. We don't have to aimlessly be wandering around, you know, wondering if um, if our God's, you know, if we're making the right decisions or not. We know that God has a sovereign will and that His His timing is best and He works in and through our lives. What an encouragement. Be there in Mark chapter one. Mark chapter one. Heard a story this last week of a representative from the Department of Water Resources went out to a ranch uh, here in Colorado, and uh, as he got out of his truck, the old rancher approached him, greeted him, and welcomed him, and said, "What you doing here?" And and he says, "Well, I'm here to I'm here to check your uh, ranch for your water allocation." And rancher says, "Okay, but don't go." in that field over there. And he, the representative, this young man from the government, pulls out his his card, you know, pulls it out and says, you see this? I mean, do you see this? This means that I have authority to go wherever I want to go on any agricultural land. And the government says I can. Do you understand that? You got it? See his card? Right? Is it clear? All right. Puts it away. Nod. Uh, rancher nods, and he goes about his old his chores, and representative goes off in that same direction. He warned him not to go in. And a little while later, while the rancher is working on his chores, he hears this loud scream in that direction. <laughs> he looks over there. And that representative from the government is running as fast as he can. He looks like he is scared to death. Rancher looks a little bit longer. He sees his bull chasing close behind him. And with each step, he's getting closer and closer and closer. And then the rancher, he feels like he's obligated to respond here. So he drops his tool. He runs over the fence and he says, The card! Show him the card! Uh, sometimes we can uh, look pretty stupid when we ignore the authority of Christ as well. When He speaks to us and warns us in His Word, sometimes that warning can fall on deaf ears. And we can look pretty silly when we don't respond to the Word of Christ. Now, I know you haven't seen Jesus, you haven't heard Him in person, okay, live in person, but you do have His words recorded in Scripture. And as we study the Gospel of Mark, we actually see the words of Christ. If you have a red letter edition, it's in red. But we get to hear what Jesus said to people when He was here ministering on the earth. And the point that I want to make with you today is that you have the blessing of having the very words of Christ in the Word of God, and you must submit to the preaching of the Word of Christ. When Jesus came, we looked at verses 1 through 13 last week. 
And as He came as God's servant, as He's portrayed in the Gospel of Mark, His coming was with authority. Now, He didn't come as the king going to set up a kingdom here on the earth in all His glory. He came and was born in a manger. But Mark doesn't start there. Starts with the coming of His public ministry. And we we saw last week as we looked at His coming that His coming was prepared by God. It was presented by God. It was proven by God when He was 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness and tempted of the devil. Now in this next section, in verses 14-20, through we see the authority of His preaching. Jesus not only came with authority, but He preached with authority. And people realized that. We haven't, we're not going to get to these verses today, but even when He was in Capernaum and in the synagogue, verse 22 says, and they were astonished at His doctrine or His teaching, for He taught them as one who ha- that had authority and not as the scribes. See, the scribes of that day, the teachers in the local synagogues, that's not where they sacrificed animals, they gathered together, they read the Scripture, they explained the Scriptures, and then they applied it. Very similar, but not exact to what we do here. Okay? Uh, but when Jesus got up to read and to explain and said that this prophecy is fulfilled in your presence, people were astonished at the authority He had. Because the scribes always got their authority from somewhere else. Someone put it this way. The scribes... Um, let me just read the quote because I'm forgetting it. Um, the scribes spoke from authorities. Jesus spoke with authority. And Jesus still speaks with that same authority in the Word of God today. God, God has preserved... Uh, the Word of God for you and me, and we need to submit to the preaching of the Word of Christ. In verses 14 and 15, we have here Christ's call to spiritual life. He preaches on a lot of things in the Gospel of Mark. But he, as He begins His ministry in Galilee, His keynote address, if you'll let me use that term, is the Gospel. He calls people to spiritual life. It says in verse 14, Now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is the gift of God, eternal life through Jesus His Son. Okay? It is the good news that the gift of eternal life from God is through Jesus Christ, His Son. Now, we call it, the he says, the gospel of the kingdom of God here. Other portions of the scripture, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why is it called the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because it's centered on Jesus Christ. His life, His death, and His resurrection. Okay, So I'm not talking about a different gospel here, talking about the same one. It's a gospel of grace. It's not something that you have to work in order to get to heaven. It's by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And what I want to point out here is it says that it's the, he says that he comes and he preaches in verse 14 the gospel of the kingdom of God. See, the gospel was not something that the early church came up with, the disciples of Jesus came up with. It is from God. It is from God, and it explains how God brings us to Himself. One 
put, I, I'm going to word it a little bit differently, it is the good news from God that brings us to God. And so its authority comes from God itself. Now, Jesus here is preaching in Galilee. And it says in verse 14, Now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee. Do you remember last week what happened? The last time we saw John the Baptist, he was baptizing Jesus, was he not? Yes, class. Yes, he was. Okay, he was baptizing Jesus. All right? And what has happened is it's been about a year since that event. Okay, Mark is very brief. It's to the point. It gets to the ministry of Christ, what he's doing. Okay, it's very agenda-oriented. Okay, very active presentation of the Gospel of Christ. And so we don't even have a year of Jesus' ministry mentioned here in the Gospel of Mark. In John chapter 1, it is mentioned. After John baptizes Jesus, we see that he calls disciples. He calls John and Andrew. Um, he calls Peter, Nathaniel, and Philip. Five of them, okay? And they travel with him. They, I mean, he uh, goes into Galilee to get Nathaniel and... Uh, and, and Philip, and then also he, um, wising Galilee, he goes to a little small village called Cana. Do you remember what happens in Cana? Turns the water into the wine. Goes back down to Jerusalem, and, and if you're not familiar with the geography, you can look in the back of your Bible, but you'll see that during the time of Christ, there were um, three uh, sections of Israel, like Galilee, then Samaria, and then Judea. And so, Judea is really where John the Baptist ministered, and pretty much Jesus stayed there most of that year and did a lot of ministry, and these disciples traveled around with him. John the Baptist was not in prison. Um, it was the healing. Uh, he did a lot of healings. He went from Judea to Galilee, and then John was in prison. Okay, And I'm not going to go into any more detail about that year uh, that's not really talked about too much here in Mark. But we see that John was imprisoned. Um, we're going to read about it a little bit later in Mark 6. John's already dead at that point. But it talks about why he was arrested. It was because he spoke out against Herod Antipas and his um, immoral relationship with, with his uh, sister-in-law. Okay? And anyway, he spoke up against that. He was in prison. He also was preaching a message that uh, could have been considered political revolution. And anyway, John the Baptist ends up being killed. But so, John the Baptist is really, his ministry is kind of over at this point. He's in prison. And we read in verse 14, Now after John was put in prison, Jesus comes to the forefront, and we're going to see in the Gospel of Mark that Jesus stays in Galilee for nine chapters. <laughs> okay? He stays there for a long time uh, until basically they kick him out, and then he goes down to Judea because he's going there to die uh, for, the, for the sins of all of mankind on the cross. And so and he stays up there in Galilee for nine chapters. So Jesus came and he preached the gospel. And I want to just look at the words of Christ himself. If you look at verse 15, he came and he preached the gospel of the kingdom of God. And this is what he said, the time is fulfilled. The time is fulfilled. Galatians 4, verse 4 says, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law. This was the moment that the Jews were waiting for. They were waiting for their Messiah. And Jesus is saying, here I am. I am the Messiah. And he preaches this with confidence. He doesn't come up there and I, 
I think that I think this is the time that it's been fulfilled. No, he's like this, this. I can't even get the wording right. The time is fulfilled. He's very confident, very dogmatic, and he was this way even with the woman at the well before he came up to Galilee. And we pick it up in verse 14. He had gone through Samaria. He told his disciples, I must needs go through Samaria. There was a woman at a well there. She was entrenched in sin, but she was lost. She was looking for the Messiah, but she didn't know who he was. She was looking for salvation, but in all the wrong places. She was looking for salvation in a husband, after a husband, after a husband, after a husband. And she was not even living. The guy she was living with was not even her husband at that point. And John uh, chapter 4 gives the account of Jesus interacting with this woman at the well. I'm not going to read all of it, but just verses 25 and 26. The woman says to Jesus in their conversation, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Trying to really sidetrack Jesus from the conversation of her immoral lifestyle. And this is what Jesus says unto her. I that speak unto thee am he. I am the Messiah. I am the Messiah. The time has come. God has provided the way for you to be saved, so stop looking in all these different directions for it. Is that still applicable today? Yeah. People are... God has created us with... He's created us in His own image, but He also has given us a conscience. And His Holy Spirit, He works in the lives of people to convict them of sin and of judgment and of righteousness according to what Jesus told His disciples. And the, and the Holy Spirit works in people's hearts and convicts them of their need of salvation. And many times people look for salvation in the economy, in positive thinking, uh, in improving society, improving themselves. They think that they can do it on their own. They're, they're putting their faith in themselves. Some of them go through even religion where they think that they can work their way to heaven through some kind of ritual, some kind of rite. But the Bible says, says that by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. No one's going to arrive on heaven's shores and say, man, I got here on my works. No, the Bible says, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so I encourage you, if you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, then stop looking in all these other different ways. Be like, uh, listen to the words of Christ. The time has come. He's already, a Savior has come. That's what he's trying to tell the Jews. Your Messiah has come. And still today, the Jewish people are looking for a Messiah. And he came 2,000 years ago. The second thing that he said here is the kingdom of God is at hand. Not only did Jesus come and preach the gospel with confidence, confidently, but also urgently. Hey, time's running out. The kingdom of God is near. Now, many people, when they heard this, they and they heard Jesus, they thought of his visible rule on the earth. As the Old Testament prophesied the Messiah would come and He would set up a kingdom and He would reign literally on the earth. And so they were looking for that visible kingdom of the Messiah on the earth. And Jesus says, it is near. But we know from Scripture He didn't set up an earthly kingdom 2,000 years ago. If so, we missed it somehow. Okay? 
He didn't at all. All right. So what is he talking about here? He says that it's near because he is here. Okay, he was there. I need to get the perspective right. He came. That's why he says the kingdom of God is near because he was talking about a spiritual kingdom, the spiritual kingdom of God. It wasn't time for some visible kingdom to come. Uh, the Pharisees questioned him on this in Luke 17. This is what they said to Jesus. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. See, God wants to reign in the heart of His children who are born again. We're going to get to that a little bit later. And so many people thought Jesus was a political revolutionist. They thought He was uh, coming to begin the thousand-year reign of the Messiah. But we know from Scripture that there were there are two events that have to happen before that ever happens. The rapture of the church and the great tribulation of the earth. And praise God, I'm not going to be here for the great tribulation, according to God's Word. And so, you know, those are two events that haven't happened yet. So His, his kingdom has not come in a literal, physical sense yet. But... What he's talking about here is God does reign in those who accept Jesus as their Savior. He reigns in the hearts of them. And actually, that reign is seen visibly in our life if we allow Him to sit on the throne of our hearts. God's kingdom is available to all through Christ. And those accepting Jesus as Savior enter into God's kingdom and they become children and citizens of His kingdom. Before Jesus came to Galilee and he started this massive campaign uh, and ministry in Galilee. He met a man named Nicodemus in Jerusalem. This is, again, that year before that Mark doesn't write about. But in John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now we have in John chapter 3, Nicodemus, this religious teacher. He is not some idiot. He's not some ignoramus about the law. He's very studious and knowledgeable of the law. But he knows that Jesus is coming with authority. He recognizes the authority of Jesus' preaching, but he doesn't want to approach Jesus during the day So he comes at night. And he talks to him and Jesus confronts him head on and says unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How does someone enter the kingdom of God? They have to be born again or born from above. It's a spiritual birth. See, when we're born, according to Ephesians chapter 2, we're born... Uh, dead in our trespasses and sin. We're spiritually dead. That means that when someone dies physically, right? Bo- we believe that their soul is separated from their body. That's physical death. When we're born, we're born because we're born with a sin nature, separated from God. Our soul is separated from God. We don't love God. There's no one good. No, not one. We don't seek after God. We don't love God before salvation. We love Him because He first loved us. And that's really how the the Bible portrays us. We are rebellious sinners when we're born. 
I hate to say it, even though my daughter is so cute and so pretty, she is a sinner. She is a rebel against God. And we do see, you know, even at a young age, her sin nature. And we pray for her salvation and for Titus' salvation because we want our children to accept Christ and be part of the kingdom of God. You have to be born again or born from above. And of course, Nicodemus is like puzzled. How can I enter back into my mom's womb? How can I be born again? You know, he's just totally disturbed by that statement, <laughs> if I can say it that way. And uh, he wants, and so Jesus explains it a little bit further in, in verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So a lot of people say, I wonder if I'm saved or not. Well, have you trusted in Jesus as your personal Savior? If you haven't, you're condemned already. You're heading to you're heading in a direction of experiencing the penalty for your sins one day. And that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to not only destroy the works of the devil and render him powerless, but to seek and to save them that were lost. And he wanted to um, save mankind from, their, from the penalty of sin. And so Jesus here, he preaches the gospel confidently, he preaches it urgently. And I guess, let me just stop here. Many of you have heard the gospel because I've mentioned it in weeks past, months past. You've heard the gospel but have you actually responded to it? The Bible portrays the day of salvation as being at hand, like today. That you need to respond to it urgently and stop waiting. If your faith is not in Jesus Christ and Him alone, humble yourself and put your faith in Him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by Him, according to Jesus in John 14.6. But Jesus also preached the gospel decisively. If you look at the last half of verse 15, the content of his preaching is repent ye and believe the gospel. Jesus urges you to repent. What that means is turn from your sin, turn from yourself, and turn to God's way of salvation, Jesus Christ. He came as a human without a sin nature, and He died in your place for the penalty of your sins. All you have to do is accept that sacrifice for yourself and trust in Him according to God's Word. Jesus urges you to believe in Him as Savior. God's gift of salvation has been given through Christ and you can have eternal life and be saved from sin's punishment, but you've got to respond to the Word of Christ here. His call to spiritual life. Do you have spiritual life? I hope you do. We have gone over this and over this and over this, and there's no excuse for someone under the sound of my voice or in this room not to have accepted Christ as their personal Savior. If you walk out these doors without accepting Christ, it's only because you were proudful and arrogant and wouldn't submit to the authority of Christ's preaching. Okay, I'm going to be very stern about that. But then second of all, submit to Christ's call to a surrendered life. We see that he just didn't preach the gospel all the time. He preached uh, to live out the gospel as well. Verse 16 says, Now as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, 
casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after Me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway or immediately they forsook their nets and followed Him. And when He had gone a little further from there, He saw James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, who also were in the ship mending their nets. And straightway or immediately He called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after Him. Jesus came and He preached, Come ye after Me. Follow Me. Follow Me. And He does this with authority. What does it mean to follow Christ? It means to, for a disciple in that time period, it meant to be with Christ. To be with Jesus. To spend time with Jesus. To live with Jesus. To be learning uh, from Him. To be living for Him. Okay, To be with Jesus. To learn from Him. To live for Him. And Jesus calls you and me to respond to that call of commitment as well. That we would forsake all and we would follow Him. You may be a Christian. You may be born again. Maybe in Awana or Sunday school. Vacation Bible school. You accepted Jesus Christ, your personal Savior. But you've never surrendered to His call to follow Him. To forsake all and follow Him. And I want to point out here that I told you earlier that three of these fishers, James, John, and Andrew, they all met Jesus and accepted Jesus as the Messiah down in Judea. Now they're back in Galilee, and they were with Him when, even when He came up through Samaria and that woman at the well was saved. And all those people in the village there in Samaria were saved. And, they, and Jesus ministered for two days. He was there with them. But when they get to Galilee, they jump ship and they're, they're fishing again. They're fishing again. Even after spending a year with Jesus in ministry. Uh, they had traveled with Jesus. They had witnessed the miracles like the water turning into wine. They actually, bat- actually the Gospel of John, chapter, uh, chapters 1-3, through three, I think it's towards chapter 3. Yes, chapter 3, that it says that they... No, excuse me, chapter 4. I'm going to be correct. Okay, In chapter 4 of John, it says that these disciples actually baptized those who accepted Jesus as Messiah. Jesus didn't baptize them. These disciples did. So can you imagine if you spent a year-long internship with Jesus, and then you come back to your hometown, and you just go back to your old occupation? That's exactly what these fishers did. That's exactly what Simon Peter, Andrew, and John did. They went back to their fishing, and apparently John's brother, James, accepted Jesus as Savior. And Jesus says, Come ye after me. And we see that they leave their job in verses 16 through 18, and they also leave their family in verses 19 and 20. Uh, we, it's, it's emphasized, their job is emphasized in verses 16 uh, and 17 with Andrew and Peter. And then with John and James, they apparently, their dad Zebedee, must have had a prosperous fishing business there on the Sea of Galilee because he had hired servants. And we know from uh, the Gospel of John that apparently Peter and J- Peter and Andrew, James and John were partners in, fish, in the fishing industry. So, I mean, this is a big business. So all of them really left their previous job. They all left their families. And we know that Peter 
the alleged first pope, had a wife. and Because uh, he had a mother-in-law, right? And so, I mean, he had a family that he left at home as well. And so he, they loved Jesus more than the job, more than the family. And all four forsook their nets and family for Christ. I want you to see, if you look, that word straightly. In verse 18, it says they straightly forsook their nets and followed Him. Verse uh, 20, And straightway He called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after Him. This was an immediate response to this call of discipleship. It was an initial call to discipleship. But if you read in Luke chapter 5, and this is where I kind of had some struggle this week, you read of another account where Jesus is walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And let me tell you the story, what happened. It's not a story. It actually happened. He's going to the shore of Galilee and Peter and Andrew, James and John, they, are, they just came in from a night of fishing and they are, they are uh, cleaning out their nets, repairing their nets. They're ready to call, call it quits and go home and go to sleep. They are dead tired. Jesus comes and He calls to Peter and says, hey, can I get in your boat? Let's cast it out. I'm going to preach over the water and let it carry my voice. Because there were so many people following Him at that moment because of the authority that He preached with. And so that happened. And then the crowd started to dissipate and Jesus told Peter, hey, go out a little bit deeper and cast out. And Peter's like, we've been fishing all night. Are you crazy? We know what we're doing. We're professionals here. Okay? And uh, Jesus says, no, do it. Cast it out. And I'm going to tell you where to cast it out. They cast it out and they catch such an amount of fish that it starts sinking their boat. So then Peter and Andrew call out, John, James, come over here. And then they start help hauling in this fish. And they haul in this huge load. And Peter is so ashamed for their lack of faithfulness. Because they respond here earlier to, God, to Jesus and they say, we're going to forsake our nets. We're going to forsake our family. We're going to follow you. And then not too long afterwards, they're back to fishing again. I don't know about you, but this encourages me that, you know, this call to discipleship, this call to surrender, it's gradual, okay? It's not like, boom, I'm saved, boom, I am where I sh- I'm living the way I sh- ought to be, you know? I'm a work in progress. I shared this in Sunday school, Philippians 1, verse 6, that he that hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. I encourage you today. You've been like Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Maybe you made a decision at camp this last summer. Maybe you made a decision in the past to follow and forsake all and follow Jesus, and you really haven't done that. You've kind of gone back to your old ways, and you need to forsake all again and recommit yourself to Christ. Let me encourage you that you can do that. Peter, in Luke chapter 5, he says, Lord, depart from me. I'm so unworthy. I'm such a sinner. He's not saying that because he, I mean, he already knew he was a sinner, but he's saying, I have forsaken you. I have gone back to this again. And Jesus says, come with me and I will help you catch more fish, more men. And he encourages them. I want to encourage you the same way. Jesus is not done with you. If you've benched yourself, God wants you off the bench. 
Are you willing to get back in the game? Are you willing to get back serving Him? One preacher in Colorado Springs went to a restaurant and uh, he was pretty particular about his mashed potatoes and he was uh, thinking about ordering some with his meal and he called the waitress over while I was thinking and says, so uh, your mashed potatoes, are they real? Are they real mashed potatoes or are they that potato flake stuff? And the waitress like, I'm not sure. I No one's ever told me if they're real or not. I just always serve them. And uh, she says, but I never see any peels on the floor, on the counters. I don't see them laying around anywhere. And uh, he says, okay, I'm going to have the baked potato. <laughs> and so, you know, I, it remind, and the preacher was uh, relating it to this very thing that, you know what, discipleship is just like that. If you're a true disciple of Christ, <laughs> you're not just some instant, instant perfect Christian. God peels away at you like like we do for potatoes. You know, he peels away that skin, you know, the worldliness that that we already were entrenched in before we were saved. He peels that off. And we, and we should see those peelings on the floor. He he cuts out the little black spots in the eyes that sometimes grow on those uh, potatoes. He doesn't cut out your eyes. But he cuts out the eyes on the potatoes, you know. The bad spots that are rotten. That's not, you know, doesn't look good, you know, and he cuts those out, those sinful habits that we that we have tolerated in our lives that we've developed before we were saved. I want to encourage you that he can completely change your life as well, but you have to completely surrender to him. You know what made the difference in Luke 5? It says that they forsook all that time and followed him. They forsook all. It's a gradual process. Have you forsaken all for Christ? Are you hanging on to something that is a part of this world, that's part of this um, culture of opposing God? Let it go and follow Christ. The promise here that Jesus makes is, Come ye after me, and then he says, I will make you, I will make you to become fishers of men. Uh, fishers of men was a term that wasn't original with Jesus. Um, they used that in that day and age, and they used it to describe teachers and philosophers because they would teach and they would philosophize to snatch or capture people's minds. And what Jesus is saying is here, I'm going to make you preachers towards men. I'm going to make you soul winners for me. And uh, these fishermen were not considered well-educated. They didn't go to seminary. They just lived with Jesus and learned from Him and lived for Him for three years. Fishermen were not uh, considered teacher material. They were considered hard laborers. Okay, And Jesus did train and make them into fishers of men. And Acts chapter 4 is my proof text for that. Peter and John are standing before the Jewish leaders. Jesus is already in heaven. But they have, through the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of Christ, healed a man. Okay, They've healed this man and they're being put on trial. And they're standing with confidence before this Sanhedrin, this judicial court. And it says in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they were fishermen, both of them, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. When you are with Jesus and you follow Him, you're learning of Him, 
and you're living for Him, He will make you a fisher of men. I don't have an evangelistic curriculum to give you. I don't have a course for you to go through. My admonition to you, if you want to win souls for Christ, is follow Christ and stay close to Him, learn from Him, and live for Him. And He will make you fishers of men just like He did these uneducated. Well, I'm not as smart. I haven't gone to seminary. I haven't gone to a Christian school. Blah, 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 blah. You can do all that and never follow Christ. I've been to the Christian school. I've been to the Christian college. People there not following Christ. They're not disciples of Christ. You want to be a soul winner? You want to be a disciple of Christ? Surrender all for Him. You must submit to the preaching of the Word of Christ. Here He calls us to a spirit, to spiritual life, but also to a surrendered life. Have you submitted to the authority of His Word? Let's bow for prayer. Lord, we thank You so much for uh, the words of Christ and for this excerpt from His preaching ministry. And we pray, Lord, that You help us to respond in obedience to the authority of Christ and His preaching. Lord, that if we haven't accepted Jesus as our Savior, He wants to meet our greatest need. And if there's one under the sound of my voice or in this room who needs to accept Christ, I pray that You would give them the courage to respond, to come forward and talk to a a friend here uh, that's going to show them in Scripture how to be saved. And Lord, we would rejoice, and we know from Scripture that the angels in heaven will rejoice with any that are saved by by the grace of God. And Lord, we pray for the ones that are not living according to Your will, Uh, They haven't been really thinking about you. You're not even on the radar. Or maybe you were at one point and they've gone back uh, to their old ways. And pray, Lord, that you would give them the courage to surrender all to you. Lord, that they would allow you to change them from the inside out. And Lord, that they would allow you to make them into fishers of men. Help us, Lord, to go out from this building today and be servants of Christ in the literal sense, that we would go out sharing the gospel of Christ, but that we would also go out striving to accomplish His will. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.